Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we welcome Pastor Samaj Van Zant of the Second Baptist Church of Asbury Park. Originally from the great city of New Orleans, Pastor Van Zant made stops in Erie, PA, Princeton, NJ, Oklahoma City, OK, before, having saved the best for last, bringing his ministry here to Asbury Park. Welcome, Pastor. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome to Asbury Pod. It's April 29th. We are here with Pastor Van Zant and my co-host. Oh, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. That's okay. <laughs> um, and how was your week, Joe? Okay. We're pretty busy at, at, at the university. I mean, moving everything online has meant that um, we're fully, it's, it's working from home means working everything's done manually so quite busy so I'm, I'm working oddly enough longer hours than normally in my office which is good i'm glad to have a job considering the current current climate right um uh so how was your week amy i mean always a fun week in municipal governance i assume yeah well i think we're constantly having these meetings about what to do about the beach mm-hmm so last weekend we had a ton of people on cookman ave restaurants turned their tables over so people could sit outside and eat, which is Mm. not what they're supposed to do. It's supposed to be grab and go. And actually people at the beach were, I thought pretty overall, pretty good. Like Mm -hmm. for most, if nobody for the, you know, our listeners, the boardwalk's closed, but the beach is still open. Um, So the, the terrifying thing is, is Sunday is going to be 75. So we're certainly in the early, you know, low seventies. So that Mm -hmm. makes for, um, our lives being difficult in terms of getting enforcement out to make sure people are social distancing and ultimately making a decision on whether or not we have to shut down the beach, which I will tell you would just be so heartbreaking to me. I mean, I'll do it for purposes of safety, but um, I love the beach. I love everything about the beach and the idea of closing it down. Um, is heartbreaking. So having said that, we two, I'm going to do two little announcements. One, paid parking goes back in effect May 1. It's it's our hope to deter. And some people were online bashing us about it. And they were like, well, I'm going to Bradley Beach then. And I wanted to be like, dude, that is exactly what we wanted you to say. I want you to go to Bradley Beach. And then we delayed people's taxes till uh, June 1. So yeah. hopefully that is some relief for some people. Um, but that's, you know, listen, I'll, I'll know better if people are 
I hope we don't have to close down the beaches. I mean, if we have to close down the beaches, we have to close down the beaches, but I'm, I'm really, really, um, I'm not a religious person, pastor, but I am praying we don't have to close. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pastor, we could... a little prayer there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm praying with you. <laughs> yeah. Love the beach. So, uh, Amy, um, let's welcome our guest. Let's welcome our guest. Also, um, Pastor, oh, wait, had- I do, I have to just prep one thing. So I do this thing where I post the numbers and a graph on my Facebook page of the new cases. Wow. So when John Moore texts me, I just got to jump away. Joe will be here. But if I jump away for a second, it's no disrespect. It's just I, I throw those numbers up when I get them. And an odd and overwhelming number of people wait for me to put these numbers up. So <laughs> I try to do it as soon as I get them. Um, but yes, let's introduce our pastor. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so, um, sure. So what's his name, Amy? Yeah. <laughs> let's start well, with that. <laughs> the, the pastor is pretty cool, man. I feel like I can get that on a cape. That could be my yeah. superhero name. Totally. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's the pastor. <laughs> uh, pastor Vincent, uh, if you could, what is, uh, how do you pronounce your first name? I didn't actually. Samaj. Did. Samaj. That's why I asked him, because like, I, I don't want to butcher it. Oh, yeah, no, I appreciate Baptist, that. You're Second Baptist Church. Yes, yeah, Second Baptist Church, Asbury Park. And um, I've been here uh, four years to Asbury Park, and it's been uh, just a blast. Uh, you know, at the church, we've seen uh, just growth, leaps and bounds. And, at the, uh, and then, you know, the work that we've been able to do uh, in the community has been tremendous and, you know, building great community partnerships. And really, uh, one of the things that I've done as a pastor is really to just build upon the legacy that um, and and the uh, of what was already there. Because uh, Second Baptist sits in right in the middle of the communities um, and right in the middle of so many uh, divides uh, that mm-hmm. that are within the city of Asbury Park. That it just really uh, makes it a beneficial place um, and. Now, thanks to the city and, and all the other partners, we sit right next to this amazing park where uh, our community has really been built and established. And uh, I can sit in my office in here uh, during the summer, the uh, Monday night concerts. And so it's a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, just, I guess, a little bit about me. I'm from born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> Well, that was our question. How did someone from New Orleans end up in Asbury Park? Yeah, you know, you, you know yeah. Um, by God alone, I, <laughs> I, can, I can say this. So when I was in uh, uh, Princeton, I became mm-hmm. part of a fraternity uh, called uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met a lot of fraternity brothers. And so uh, while in, in, in the process of that, I met uh, a couple brothers who uh, attend Second Baptist Church. They've, they've been here uh, for decades, and mm-hmm. they invited me to preach for their men's day. And mm-hmm. so um, I got introduced to and, and twice. So I got introduced to uh, Asbury Park twice. And uh, the first time my wife came, my wife uh, and I came together, mm-hmm. and she uh, uh, it was just a great time. We were just engaged. And so, uh, we were just coming to hang out. That was our first introduction to Asbury Park beach, which was mm-hmm. amazing. And then, <laughs> uh, the second time, uh, she was pregnant. So we, you know, it was, uh, it was just a great time that, that we were here. Uh, and so of course, you know, through the course of life went about it, the church, uh, had a vacancy of a pastor 
And one of those same brothers called me uh, back and, and, and let me know that this church was looking for a pastor. And uh, the process of candidacy, right, uh, began. And, and the church prayerfully uh, and, and myself, too, thought that this was the right place to be. In addition to the fact that when my wife and I visited, we just loved Asbury Park, the beach, the community, the people, the environment, the proximity to the big cities. I mean, it was just a perfect place um, to be. And so uh, we are just extremely excited to be uh, 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 right here and working in Asbury Park. Pastor, I don't know. So, I, I, and I think I said it before, I interestingly enough went to Catholic school, but it's a long story, but I didn't go to, it's a long story that we'll, we'll do another day. I didn't go to religion. I didn't have to go to religion classes because my parents were divorcing. Uh, It's a story for another day. I I only asked that. So one, I'm going to, I'm going to ask probably not the smartest questions on the planet about this. And Joe's going to be much smarter than I am because he's much more up on theology than I am. But when you talk about the candidacy, to get into Second Baptist. Like, I don't even know, I, I didn't even know that existed. Can you just describe that for one second? Yeah, so there's some churches, uh, in some denominations, um, it's a, you know, when there's this overarching government governance, they will select and choose and, and place a pastor. But in autonomous church, the Baptist churches are autonomous. And so what happens is that when there's a vacancy, uh, pastors uh, apply, and then they go through the process of, of uh, teaching Bible studies, coming to preach, you know, we submit resumes and, you know, licensures and, um, and degrees and everything else. And so we uh, submit all of those things. And then, um, you know, through that process, the church whittles down all of the candidates, you know, who would apply. And, uh, and through much prayer and discernment, they uh, say, hey, this is the person we feel that uh, is a great match for us. And the pastor says, well, this is a congregation I feel that I can work and grow with. And then, um, you know, the church votes. And uh, once the church votes, then they ask the pastor uh, or the candidate whether if they agree or if they, you know, accept the, the vote of the congregation. And if they do, it boom, you know, uh, we don't send a white smokes like the Catholics and their Pope. But uh, but there is much rejoicing and celebration that, uh, you know, pastor and people have come together. And so it's a, it's a pretty long process. Now, I'm in a Baptist church, especially it take, it's between 18 to 24 months. So it's not a short process. And, um, you know, so but but it's definitely one that is well worth it uh, at the end. Pastor, you've been in Asbury Park four years. And um, how would you describe Asbury Park? So Asbury Park, I believe, is a, uh, a fun, uh, loving town that is inclusive, one that um, has, is just full of promise, and um, a town that uh, I've seen in uh, the last four years just grow and develop um, in ways that um, have been astounding. One of the things I, uh, I love about Asbury Park is that this town is changing, and ever-changing, and it's going through some growing pains, but um, one of the beautiful things about going through the growing pains is that um, those growing pains are not making us better as a people, but they're making us better. And I've seen more unity. I've seen more cohesiveness. I've seen uh, more people uh, come together. And there have been some really intentional efforts to make sure that, um, that we become one Asbury Park and not 
uh, just, you know, uh, two or, or, or Asbury Parks. And, and so I really um, love the, again, you know, the city, the proximity, the beach, things mm -hmm. of that nature. But I also love the people and, and find uh, almost, uh, find new ways each and every day to fall in love with the people, the great people of Asbury Park. No, so I feel the same way about Asbury, and I, I had to do a branding. We're, we're doing, I'm going to say this wrong, wayward finding signs. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. So we had, I had to do a branding interview today, and they were asking me a similar question of what I just asked you, and I was like, you know, I think no. the perception is that Asbury is this kind of divided town, and I'm not saying there aren't aspects of that, and there's not, you know, racial disparities, and there's not complicated issues in Asbury, but... Yeah overwhelmingly a loving, caring, thoughtful group of people here who are, um, I really think, trying to um, make sure all of the town hopefully um, benefits from, um, you know, the development going on. Well, I think this goes back to the point where I was, I had a brilliant point that I made to the nobody before talking in the, you know, and I had my, uh, brilliant, Joe. yeah, so you guys missed it. I just want to point that out. So well, I want to go back to the, the candidacy process. That leads to a pastor joining a community. You're embedded in the community right from the start, whereas we're in the Catholic Church, which is top down. It assigns pastors, then they're itinerant. They go, you go there, you go there. And um, so I always thought the relationship in independent churches like this between the pastor and the community is like you're, you're starting closer to your congregation than others are, right? So they, in other words, you have to be with them for a while before they say, okay, you, you're our guy, right? So that changes the, it seems to be, we change the dynamics of the church itself. It definitely does, you know, um, because there's such, it, it's like new relationships, right? Where there's such, we don't know who it is. Like we, we sense that this person has the skill to lead us and, um, and is called to lead us, but we still don't know them. And the pastor's thinking the same thing about the people. Um, you know, I, I know that this is what God is calling me to, but I really don't know these people. And so um, it takes time to really grow and to know each other. Uh, a lot of times uh, people will say, um, even, you know, though there's a greater investment because uh, this pastor is an answer to, you know, the people see this pastor as an answer to my prayers and the pastor see the people as an answer to my prayers. And so there's this greater investment that goes beyond the people themselves. And so, um, you know, which is a great connection. There's no bishop, you know, or the district superintendent who put me in place, but this is something that we believe is the divine connection and a divine assignment. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, there's something that's strong, a stronger bond that holds us and, and almost, uh, and, and brings us together. But, um, unlike these new gadgets in a dentist's office, when like you get something in your, you know, they'll do a filling and they have this little wand and it like cements and hardens right away. You know, mm -hmm. unlike that, uh, while, you know, uh, uh, that hole or, or the vacancy may be filled, it typically takes between three to five years, right, for this relationship to develop. You get to know the people, the people get to know you, and and you really understand kind of the dynamics. That three to five years gives you enough time for the skeletons come out of everybody's closet, and <laughs> you say, oh, those are yours, and yeah, yeah. these are mine, and, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, you go through the, process of denying the skeletons and uh you mm -hmm. know yeah well you i guess those are mine and and then you say okay well listen we both have skeletons and let's love each other despite and we're gonna move mm -hmm. forward because there's something greater that we're called to do mm -hmm. and the reason i brought that up is because you just mentioned like you have four years you've seen the community quite change quite a bit like the four yeah. years the last four years in asbury are like 
remarkably different, right? If you even go back a little farther, six, the last 10 years, but so you've seen, you joined us at the, you know, the, um, not that I've been here much longer, you know, but um, uh, you hit a, a, an interesting time of change. So uh, you're uniquely positioned in the community to sort of think about, you know, how is it, um, how is it affecting Asbury Park, you know, uh, um, you know, in total, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, to, um, you know, I just jumped in after having the microphone broke, so I sidetracked the conversation. Well, the one thing I was going to say, so <laughs> I've been in Esbury since two, the early 2000s, 2000, 2001. And I would say the biggest change I've seen in Esbury has been in the last few years, um, certainly. Uh, and and, I, and I, I try to describe it to people who ask about it, like, you know, there was, there's all these people kind of pushing this train up this hill and, you know, throughout the early 2000s and then the late 2000s and into 2013, 14, 15. And when we ran for office in 2013, the biggest issue when we did door to door was crime and lack of development. That was kind of the big people wanted, you know, development had really slowed down. And, you know, I think they had built, I don't know, like North Beach, but nothing else. So, um, so in, over those years, you, you know, you push this train up, you push this train up, and then all of a sudden, this train is barreling down um, in terms of, you know, redevelopment and gentrification and all of these things that, you know, we're up there trying to pull it back and be like, okay, let's hold on a minute, everybody, because, like, we want success, but we want to make sure this is a thoughtful, organic success for everybody. Um, and I would say one of the periods of time that I noticed a distinct change and I know this is going to sound strange, and it's certainly not scientific, but when we became, I think it was 2017, best small town in America, I kid you not, things blew up from there. People, inquiries, I got more calls for press, people wanted to buy more stuff in Asbury, developers called our, our planning board office, you know, all of those kinds of things when we hit that kind of... Um, best small town in America or best small city. I forget what it was now. I, I noticed a distinct change, which is about 2017, which is a yeah. little bit of the time that, you know, within the last three or four years. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, I say all of that to say we are, we need to circle back. To, so pastor, we're doing all these COVID um, podcasts. We're trying to do them weekly. So we've had like Garrett, uh, Garrett Guyverson Jr., who's our OEM director, yeah. and um, Kathy Kelly of the Esbury Park Dinner Table, which you were such <clears> an <throat> integral part of that, so we're going to have you talk about that a little bit too. Um, and, uh, and Kelly Irving, who talked about um, being in the hospitals. And one of the reasons we, and Vin Gopal, to talk about um, the programs that are coming down the pike to help businesses. And one aspect um, that we really wanted to touch on uh, was, you know, you know, a day in the life of a pastor during COVID and how that has really, I assume, distinctly changed the way you normally do things, for lack of better words. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely, um, I don't know if it's necessarily changed as much as I've had to adjust uh, the methods by which I do them, right? Because I'm still... Um, you know, I'm still uh, checking in on the sick, leading, leading the leaders, preaching the gospel, <laughs> teaching the word, counseling the confused and communicating mm. with the staff and praying intentionally and consistently. So, you know, these are all things that I'm already doing. Um, I've had to, uh, of course, I'm on a whole lot more Zoom calls uh, mm. than, I, than I've ever been. I told 
tell my wife almost every day my ears are just tired of listening, <laughs> you know, to phone calls and everything mm. else. Um, and and you know, uh, and one of the things that it has changed is I love uh, I love people, right? I am just a people person. I love being around people. I love engaging with them. There's something, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, that happens when uh, two people are more in the same space where you can read body language and you, when you can look at facial expressions. Um, and so some of those things are just, you know, when you can sense, okay, this person needs a hug, they need a smile, they need, you know, a joke, uh, even when they're not, when the words don't say it. Uh, and, and so that definitely, uh, when I'm not on Zoom and have been on a lot of phone calls, you know, those things are really, um, those things definitely become a challenge, right? Because I just came, I'm trying now to sense uh, you know, people's vocal tones, but I just am not able to uh, do, uh, be as effective a communicate I don't feel, um, you know, uh, in, in this time where I'm on the phone most of the time. And even over Zoom, you know, there's just something different about that. And like tonight, I have Bible study at seven. And so uh, I'll be teaching, but typically I have a group of people that we're sitting <clears throat> together or, you know, we're in one room and I'm able to engage, able to ask uh, questions and I can, you know, I can poke and I can prod, but um, Bible study is just me doing a live, a live Zoom and so, um, uh, or live meeting type of thing. And they can ask questions, you know, but they have to type it before I can answer. You know, it's just, it's just a different dynamic. But um, I tell you, the thing that has really been the most um, challenging and difficult is that I have two amazing uh, boys that are six and nine years old now as of last week, and they have, have energy. Oh, I mean, it's from everywhere. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. And they're bouncing off the walls and running up the couches and they make cameos <laughs> yeah. most of my Zoom meetings, you know. <laughs> like I had to bribe them today. They are upstairs watching TV. Uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, so that's I the that's, my son when we do this podcast, he has to he goes to my mom and yeah, so I feel that, oh God, finally. So we, you're the first person with s- small kids on our podcast because I feel like yeah. this could take 45 minutes of me complaining. Raising <laughs> <laughs> like small children in a pandemic, right? So, so if I'm on a work call, right, and he runs over and wants to either give me a hug or smack me, whatever, depends right. on me, <laughs> um, I get these kind of disapproving looks from people who either A, don't have kids or two, haven't had kids in 20 years and have no idea what it is like to raise a small or probably raise any child. I'm just going by my own experience. Raising a child in a pandemic that is in the house all day. He has no social, little socialization, especially my son. He's only around adults. Yeah. Um, he walked in the other day and he, he said to a friend of ours, he's like, do you want a cocktail? Because we ask everybody if they want a cocktail. <laughs> and then, um, right, at four. So that's, that's I got I to gotta work on that at some point, but I'm putting <laughs> it in it right now. But like, I just don't think people get the gravity of what it's like to try to work from home with small children in your home. Even if you, even if I have an amazing wife, as I know you do as well, I just, it's, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and both my wife and I work and, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my office is downstairs and her office is upstairs. And so and the kids in the middle, and we're trying to navigate their schoolwork, too. And and uh, and it's a lot, you know, and of course, they're six and nine. So the attention span is 
the length of a gnats, you know. <laughs> so just if you don't stay on them, they're not gonna get it done. Um, but the one thing that that uh, that makes my ability to uh, do what I do is the quiet time of the day, right? Where I can read, I can study, I can engage. Um, when uh, when are you getting that time, Pastor? Because I'm not getting <laughs> that time. Oh, I'm not. I'm just. That, that's the change. Yeah. <laughs> I am not. That is a pandemic change for sure. And, uh, you know, that I've had to make because, um, and so I don't get it during the day. It's really after their bedtime. So my most productive time is between maybe nine and two in the morning. And then, you know, if I can uh, drag myself out of bed to get up uh, before they do, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really like the time that I really have. Uh, to be the most productive and as far as reading and engaging material and studying and preparing for sermons and Bible studies like I'm used to uh, because during the day it is just noisy. And um, mm-hmm. even, you know, there's no radio TV on, but they are, they are asking questions and can you help me with this? And let's do this experiment. And, you know, the, the virtual learn, they got uh, videos almost <laughs> every day. And so it becomes a lot, uh, you know, uh, to manage it's just something has to give. And my wife, of course, she has calls that she has to make with students. And and um, and I'm trying to keep up, not just with um, uh, with things at the church, but also uh, with the Interfaith SOAR program and also helping to uh, collect information for the uh, emergency, you know, calls and, and when people place those calls. And so there's a whole – the days are nonstop busy go, 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 go from, from wake mm-hmm. from the time I wake up to the time, uh, where really from the time I'm woken up uh, mm-hmm. to the time I, I fall asleep. Yeah. I think we're all having that odd experience of working from home, but being busier than as if we were at our normal space. And everything I mean, takes 10 times longer. Yeah. Like, I fill up my right? time sheet for work. <laughs> And it's like what would normally take me 20 minutes takes me about an hour 20 now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But like you said, Joe, too, I'm blessed to have a job and to be working. So right. I'm kind of just saying observations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have a job. I mean, in, um, uh, you know, for today, right, I'll knock on wood and see what. So hopefully um, that stays the same. So to, so to keep with our COVID um, um Series. So, do you have a sense of how ho- how hard COVID might be hitting your congregation or the surrounding community? Because the, we see numbers, but we're not sure. You know, in in a lot of cases, we read that um, who it's affecting. But you know, in the Monmouth County, New Jersey numbers, we just see the bulk data. Without, it's very hard to drill down and find out. You know, you know who's being affected. So, do you have a sense that you know, your community is feeling it hard, or you know? Um or it's been sort of somewhat isolated from it, which is, you see, you see that too, right? You know? Yeah. I, you know, so I think um, there is a, there's a pocket, you know, um, I'm not sure that uh, thankfully we have only um, experienced uh, two deaths in our church um, mm-hmm. and, you know, a congregation of right over 300. And mm-hmm. so only uh, two deaths in the church. Uh, but I have heard of a lot of people who's had, who have had cousins and friends and, you know, both near and far, uh, who have uh, who have perished because of um, uh, COVID nineteen, and mm. uh, you know, so I definitely know that uh, there is a there is a pain that, that exists, right? A, 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 
uh, soul pain that mm-hmm. exists because um, even when it is not your direct loss, the people that we do know, um, and then of course you hear people who get uh, who who are affected with COVID nineteen, and and today I just found out about uh, one of my older members who did have COVID nineteen, but she recovered, and so that mm-hmm. was uh, phenomenal. And uh, so you hear those stories, and you're really excited, uh, but they're always tempered with the stories of of those who are newly infected. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, and things of that nature. One of the things that is, uh, we started to really emphasize and really try to push is for people to go get tested, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and I know we just had uh, several groups of people and I, I myself uh, and my wife and I are probably going to go try to get tested also uh, here really soon. And so you're hearing about this, you know, people are starting to get tested and um, and, and that is really, uh, you know, I think as people find out, and they're finding out that they, they don't have it and they're not even uh, symptomatic, asymptomatic. So those things are really, those things are really good. I'm encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to definitely give some credit to uh, to our governor, to our mayor here in mm-hmm. the city and to, you know, uh, Amy and other city officials who made <laughs> some of the hard and tough decisions, you know, at, at the beginning. Uh, to say we need to shut this down, let's, let's you know, to stay at home and um, and limiting, you know, hours at, at stores and, and being out and things of that nature. Though I tell you, the uh, the shutdown of the parks, that was kind of hard. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> but the reopening the, on the, he's reopening them this weekend. So we're yeah, good. I'm really <laughs> excited about that. But I want, <laughs> I probably will avoid them this weekend because I, I know yeah. people will not practice social distancing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just walk with your hands out. Like, hey, everyone, right, you know, right. arms length. I'm, yeah. I'm praying, Pastor, that all the people who are normally coming to the beach are now going to go to the parks. Because yeah. yeah. That's my hope. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so, that's it's going to be interesting. Pastor, I've heard so- Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Amy. Go ahead. Just one quick question. So your congreg, so this uh, the older population in your in your congregation, the seniors, are they able to come online and listen to you speak via Zoom, or do you have to like? How are you dealing? Uh, obviously, we 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 can all pop online and 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 manage Zoom, right. and really, my wife manages it for me. But <laughs> I have somebody who manages it for me. Do you have? Your, do do the people in your congregation are they able to to tune in on Sundays and yeah so we um they actually are so one of the things when I knew that we were shutting down um the uh that the first on that Monday or Tuesday of that week I sent out um a letter you know to the congregation very detailed letter uh, that talked about how they can uh how they can log on to for we do some Bible studies by conference call, one Bible studies by conference call, another Bible studies by Zoom, and the, and the third Bible study on Wednesday evening uh, Bible study is um, by uh, on YouTube Live and on Facebook. And so I sent out this real detailed several-page letter, you know, with pictures and arrows and everything else, um, you know, about how to do it. But right before, at the beginning and at the end of all of that, I put, um, you know, uh, to grab the youngest person in your house or family yeah. and have them explain <laughs> all of this to you, <laughs> you know, and um, so that's, that's, so uh, thankfully they've been doing that. And so on uh, doing our Bible studies, you know, we get about uh, 70, 80 people uh, who tune in, especially in the, on Wednesday evenings. And then on uh, Sunday mornings, we have about 140 or so that will tune in and then. 
Um, you know, throughout the week, we usually get up to about six to 800 uh, views uh, throughout the week. So, um, and most of those views actually come in Sunday afternoon. I guess people are like, I'm not, I don't have to wake up to get there. So I'll just see what I can. Nice. Yeah. So Amy, Amy, this reminds me, we, we, we may have talked about this in a previous uh, podcast. So for our uh, seven or eight listeners out there, forgive me if this is repeat, but we noticed when Rutgers went fully online, we, uh, in response to this, the one thing we thought was like, great, how great are we to do this? We're trying to con- you know, continue for stu- uh, this, get students out there. But then we discovered there's a whole range of students out there who don't have what we would consider to be sort of normal access or, um, uh, I hate to use the word normal, but you know, access to internet in the way we think is, is, is we take for granted now. So I had students who uh, were relying on either wireless internet in public library spaces or Starbucks, right? So they may have had a smartphone, but not a computer, but could connect, you know, they'd go to Starbucks or they'd go to library. And then I also had students who didn't have computers at all. And, uh, and we're using the, the university computer labs to do other work. So by putting everything online, we essentially kicked them out of the college um, accidentally. So there was a whole bit of catch up we had to do in terms of assumptions about who could, has access to what in, in, in a connected world, there's a lot of, you know, you know there's, uh, represents up, we have a lot of students who are poorer than we thought, right? Um, or didn't have access um, to uh, things that we had expected. And so we had to change our thinking about things. And it was sort of a, for me, it was a wake up call when I talked to a couple students, it never occurred to me that they didn't have access, right? So it was a, quite a wake up. Absolutely, you know, and one of the things that we're working on right mm-hmm. now is a partnership because, uh, you know, Brookdale is uh, is uh, completely online now, too. Mm-hmm. And and um, we're working on a partnership where uh, uh, with Brookdale because they have 400 or more laptops to give out for students to be able to use. But mm. out of those 400, they were only able to disperse, you know, they they dispersed less than 50. Um, and while the thought was everybody will run to the campus or to grab them, the reality is that the, the same people who need the laptops are the people who don't have transportation to get out to uh, Brookdale. And when everything was running to get from Asbury Park and Neptune, it still took you almost two hours to get out there to Brookdale. And so we're working on trying to become a distribution center uh, for Brookdale's uh, laptops so that the students can have the ability, that students who don't have transportation, but they have a, a place in close proximity to be able to um, you know, get a laptop and then be able to access the information and be able to take classes uh, mm. that they need. And that's a great uh, point too. Like there is a bus that goes from Maserati to Brookdale, but I had to use it. Um, um, as I mentioned before the recording, uh, I worked for Rutgers, but my main office is at Brookdale community college. And, um, my car was broken down last spring. I had to, I took the bus to work every day, which I thought was great, but it was an hour and a half each way. Yeah. Right. So that's a three hour commitment to pick up a laptop. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know if the bus is running that way right now. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a real problem. Um, you know, again, assumptions, we just assume anything, just pick up, run over to the campus and pick up a couple laptops like you know, yay us. Right. But right. A, right. We'll pat ourselves in the back, but the bus, you know, we forget that the, you know, there's a, a complicated bus route to get there. Absolutely. And, and the school system's a little mirroring kind of what you're saying, Pastor. So um, my son goes to Bradley, and every day at 12, we have story time. And it seems to genuinely be 
the same kids at story time who, and I know Sancha has been trying to, you know, equip all of the kids with as much as she can equip them with. So I, I want right. to be really clear on that. I think she's doing, you know, a great job um, in, in dealing with what she's dealing with. Um, but it's, but uh, of a class of about 15 or 16, it's about the same eight on the call every day. And, and yeah. my understanding that, that the other kids unfortunately don't have, um, the resources of either a laptop or, or, or Wi-Fi. So this has been like an interesting experience and I'm sure for you as well. And like, how can we do something about these drastic disparities? Not, I mean, in Asbury, pa in Asbury Park, but just across the board, um, it's illustrated, um, things for me that I'm not sure that were at the forefront for me. Yeah, and I think it's just the most important thing is not to deny that these disparities exist, right? I've, in mm -hmm. some ways, I think um, that, you know, there were people at the beginning who were denying that, oh, no, it, you know, they were making so many assumptions and things, and they, it was kind of the, the you know, let's, let's deny everything and it'll be all right. But now people are forced to grab, grapple and wrestle with all of the various disparities in transportation, in food, in healthcare, yeah. I mean, in all in education, all these different areas where um, before the pandemic, we were able to say, oh yeah, that there's equality, there is, um, there's justice, and you know, we solved that, we, we've taken care of that issue. But when you get, when you, uh, this pandemic has really been, uh, a, has been used uh, to expose a lot of disparities that still exist, unfortunately. And, and I think, you know, on one hand, um, uh, it's a heartbreaking thing because you see that these disparities are there. But on the other hand, I'm really excited because um, the disparities that exist have been put in a place where you cannot ignore them. And the people who have been able to talk around them, talk, uh, you know, they, they just cannot ignore the fact that these disparities exist. And the pandemic has now put all of us um, on the same plane, right? If you have health insurance, um, uh, it, it can't be, well, I have health insurance now because the virus doesn't care because if somebody who doesn't have health insurance is around you or walks in front of you or by you sneezes around you, you know, just like now your health insurance, you're going to, you have it to be used, but you it didn't prevent you from uh, some of these, you know, from whatever uh, results there are. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, in a way about the highlighting of the disparities to the end that people cannot ignore them. And and my, my sincere hope and my optimistic self says that we see them and we're going to do something about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I feel a similar way. I think uh, you also, yeah, some of the disparities we can highlight, because I mentioned this uh, to Amy and, um, in, you know, I'm lucky enough to work from home, but I can see out my window uh, a group of uh, workers for whom life hasn't changed. They're still getting up and walking to work. So like the Latino workers I see passing by the house every day as if nothing had changed. Right. Right. And they're exposed. They're, you know, they're landscapers, they're warehouse workers, they're working in the grocery stores and the restaurants. Right. And, and that's what the, the, and, and this is what you see uh, the, who we consider essential workers are, are also, essentially unpaid workers or very low paid workers, right? Most yeah. essential they're up. And so there's a, um, so there's a highlighting of some, um, 
real economic disparities here. Like who has to go to work and who has to make the least amount of money to do that? It's very um, sort of eye-opening. Right, right, right. And, um, and you know, the, the hope is that uh, these people, and, and I've seen, you know, some policies and things are changing, but, the, you know, the hope is definitely that these people are able to find protections because we realize that even, I know I saw this uh, post that said uh, they're reopening things, but don't, but don't believe it until they open up the country club and they open up, you know, um, uh, the spas and all these other different places um, where typically that are luxury items and that people uh, with certain means are able to uh, populate. But I tell them the same way I said, those very places are worked by the people who, you know, probably don't have health insurance or don't have the time, the luxury of time to even go get tested to find out that they're asymptomatic or not. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, um, you know, we really, it, it, uh, we, we see what Dr. Martin Luther King called this web of mutuality, right? Mm-hmm. That we all, that we are all, all connected in some uh, uh, important way. And so, and we also see Dr. King's words of, um, uh, you know, an in, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? That this, that I can't say, um, you know, not in my backyard or that's not about me because in this pandemic, we see that we are all interconnected and, uh, you know, and, and, and in an irreversible way, which I think is beautiful when we realize that, uh, that we are connected. And I, and I then take that to love my neighbor as I'm loving myself. Maybe speechless there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, I, well, I totally, totally agree. I, I, yeah. I, I'm hoping that this keeps a dialogue going on. Listen, one of the things I love about Asbury Park, and I, I make this joke a lot, is the level of passion people have. One of the things I hate about Asbury Park is the level of passion that people have. <laughs> right. But, but what, what I do like and what I hope this pandemic does is keep a conversation open about um, – the, the, the disparities of particularly people of color, um, you know, we're going to have Beatrice on to, 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 and I will say the Latino community is a hotspot community right now that is yeah. in Esbury Park that, that, is, that is unequivocally getting hit. Um, you can walk into Super Extra and, you know, are, are, are they getting hazard pay? Probably not. You can, mm. you know, is, are the Amazon workers getting hazard pay? Of course not. Um, but, but Amazon continues to get, you know, you know, tax breaks. Like I hope after this is, I hope while this is going on, but certainly after it's done, we recognize the importance of all of the essential workers from our, our male people to our grocery people, to our teachers, to, you know, all of the people who are making a difference and stop obviously rewarding corporate interests, but I, I think I'm singing to the choir. At, at yeah. the, but pastor, can I ask you, did you always want to be a pastor? I did not. I, like I did not. Okay. Yeah, no, I did not. So I always had this interest in leaders and leadership. Um, and, but, I, but pastor was definitely just a far thing, you know, furthest thing away from my mind. Um, my, even my undergrad degree, uh, political science is in, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, a poli sci with the emphasis in presidential leadership, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I was always intrigued by uh, politics. I definitely wanted to do that. Then when I was a junior in college, I had the amazing opportunity to do an internship with the uh, Secret Service and the HRT department. 
And so um, I did that and fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So it made some great connections. And uh, I left uh, Washington, D.C. the summer of my uh, before my senior year saying that uh, before my junior year, rather saying I'm going to, you know, uh, work as a civilian administrator, um, you know, with the Secret Service. And so everything just turned, you know, my attention turned to that. But then uh, in July of 2006, I had this, uh, my, uh, my calling moment, right, uh, after uh, teaching a vacation Bible school at my church in New Orleans. And uh, it was that, it was that whole week full of fun teaching. And I was a, a you know, college student teaching in a bell class. But that night I heard God uh, uh, audibly call my name and say that it's your time to serve. Mm-hmm. And as I um, uh, began to understand what that uh, meant, praying about it, and uh, just uh, coming to understand what that means, I share, shared it with uh, a- after a couple months. Because once I understood that, it's like, yeah, you've been called a pastor. I said, oh, no, not me. I want to be one of them holy guys. And, you know, just – it just the past and pastors, you know, they didn't make enough money for me, and so I was like, "Oh, I don't want to do it." And um, and plus, I had my own plans, right? I'm I'm going to D.C. I'm going to work with the uh, with the Secret Service and and learn some more cool things and secrets that I you know that I was privy to. And so uh, I already had these plans, didn't want to do it, but then eventually, you know, I talked to my pastor, uh, Dr. Charles Mock and uh, a shallow Baptist church in Erie. And uh, he said, you know, these, after I went through this long story about why and why I don't want to, and, you know, my eyes are watering. He, he looked at me and he said, it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what? So he already knew. <laughs> he already knew. He already knew. And, um, and so, you know, the process toward being called and licensed and, and eventually ordained and, and now serving as the pastor of my second church uh it mm-hmm. began yeah but. i wonder if you had an experience like i noticed the, in the greek orthodox and russian orthodox tradition there they have a sense like you, you often see this sometimes in russian literature where, where a character might have a sense of being they call it being hunted by god yeah <laughs> right so did you have a sense after you decided to be a pastor it was like well clearly that oh yeah i always had like it was always there I was always being stalked by this, and I just did, it's the first time I turned around and noticed, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, for months, and I probably uh, uh, may have been longer than that, but um, I kept, uh, God kept bringing back these things to, kept bringing these things to my mind about how um, he, my life up to that point um, was being shaped and formed um, to be ready uh, for, to serve in this uh, position. So, it was always interesting uh, that, you know, uh, that while I didn't want it to be the case, that God was all, always uh, working uh, uh, and shaping my life toward that end. So um, I was like, oh, that's what that was about. You know, I had a lot of <laughs> old moments. <laughs> I have to say, Pastor, so as somebody who went to Catholic school and also came out in Catholic school, which, which was not pleasant, so kind of puts a ton of religious people in a category um, yeah. that I stay away from, I will say you you and um, Pastor Jennings also and Pastor John, there's several pastors, I think, in Asbury Park that have such a kindness and warmness about them that um, even if I wanted to stay away, you draw people to you and you're, you're absolutely <laughs> one of them. Oh, wow. Well, I'm privileged to be in that crew. <laughs> you mentioned some great, some great uh, pastors that we have in uh, Asbury Park. 
And, uh, you know, definitely uh, proud to be in there. And I think, you know, one of the, um, one of the things is that uh, we, right, we, we uh, the three that you mean, Pastor Johnson and Jennings, we all serve Jesus Christ. And the cool thing about Jesus was that Jesus always hung out with the folk who were not religious, right? So, we, you know, we have uh, a lot of times we, uh, you know, uh, uh, church folk, like, oh, I need to be caught up and stay behind my doors and, and only be religious inside. But Jesus, when you read it, he hung out outside. I mean, he was, there were only six things that he did in the temple, but for the other three years of his ministry, he was outside uh, doing uh, doing things. And so, uh, you know, I just try to be like Jesus and hang out with the <laughs> folk, uh, you know, who are not inside the temple, uh, or who are not the religious folk in a way that they are able, they too uh, are able to experience God's love. Meeting people where they are. <laughs> absolutely. 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 So and, Amy, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I interrupted you. I just want to say, Amy, I went to Catholic school for nine years. My high school and my undergrad were both Catholic schools, you know, but they didn't convert me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when I was in Catholic school, I, so listen, I was gay in Catholic school. So it took me a while to come out. I mean, I knew I was gay there. And when I came out, I, I will say that the nuns and the priests, you know, they didn't love it. Right. They don't right. love it. And I think, I think like a lot of people, I've talked about this before, especially, you know, with other lesbians in, in my same age range, what a lot of us did in our late 30s and early 40s is we came out as bisexual to kind of test the waters, right? You were yeah. like, let me just tell everyone I'm bisexual. I know I'm not. But right. let me just tell everybody that so I can gauge the room and figure out who's going to flip out. So in high school, I did come out. I think I've in my junior year, I think I came out as bisexual. In my senior year, I think I came out as gay. And just like a couple of experiences of like people saying like, you're going to burn in hell. And like, you know, what? okay. You know, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Thanks. You know, um, it, it is what it is, people. Yeah. So, yeah. so. Um, when I, when I, some, over the years, I've gotten much, 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 much better with it. But, um, when I meet pastors that, and, and, and you and, and Jason and Pastor Johnson, just really, really welcoming, you, you seem like really welcoming, lovely, loving people that, um, make somebody cold-hearted like me like oh they seem like really great people. <laughs> Amy, <laughs> Amy, you're cold-hearted, right? <laughs> Oh. I wouldn't call you cold-hearted, Amy. You know? yeah. <laughs> but I, but I'm glad you feel welcome. And uh, you I know, did, I have not felt welcome in any around the in any way around you, um, <laughs> Pastor Jennings or Pastor Johnson. I've, I've never awful. felt un, unwelcome. And 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 I will say, um, both Nicole Harris and her father have always been welcoming people. Um, yeah. Anytime I'm in. Um, Second Baptist. But listen, I have to do our quick questions, Joe, because we ask yeah. these questions <clears throat> of everybody and we're running out of time. And my, my son, similar to yours, Pastor, is going to come barreling through that door any minute and want <laughs> <all> my attention. <laughs> the podcast will be over. Okay, Pastor, your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite, Coming to America. Oh my God, you're the second person who said that, Diane Shelton. Do you know Diane Shelton from Interface? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. movie. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, man. I'm at the, when this is over, we got to watch it together so we can just quote the whole movie. Totally. <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? Ooh, right now it's Person of Interest. Huh. Uh, I, I've watched that. that yep. That's a good, uh, yeah, great show. 
And uh, I love I love those movies where they're like solving crimes or preventing they, the first adventures where they you know this machine that he's that he's create Harold has created uh, mm-hmm. said, gives a number and it says this person's in danger and so uh, he sends um, you know this ex like assassins guy to protect them and to keep them from danger. So it's really cool. Everybody and lives at the end most times. Favorite book. <laughs> favorite book, the Bible. Second favorite book, Amy, read the room. Who are we talking to here? Favorite book is the Bible. And really, you know, so I have um, almost every book that I'm reading, (laughs) it becomes my favorite book. But one that I do keep coming back to is uh, The Abundant Community by John Knight and um, John McKnight and uh, Peter Block. And uh, I ran across this stuff while I was working on my dissertation and absolutely love their, um, uh, their material and their work. To the degree that um, uh, Second Baptist even has a uh, virtual uh, book club uh, that my wife has started uh, along with a couple of us. And every other week we are discussing components of the virtual of the abundant community, uh, trying to see how we can apply that uh, to to our time and our work here in Asbury Park. And your wife and kids, Pastor, how, how, how do they play an integral role in, in what you preach and, and, and how you communicate with your congregation? Yeah, so my uh, my kids give me a lot of great illustrations, right? <laughs> Those little uh, guys are just uh, they're everywhere, and they 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 do a lot, and so they give me a lot of great illustrations. And uh, and then my wife uh, is one of the things is that I'm blessed to have a wife who uh, is a partner with me in ministry, and so uh, she uh, while she works with Brookdale, and and she ministers there in the EOF department um, together. Uh, really, we are a great team. She has many skills and, and abilities. She is incredibly brilliant um, uh, uh, and, and creative. And so a lot of the ministry and a lot of the things that we do, um, you know, we're able to do them together. And she has skills that I don't, and I have skills that she doesn't. And uh, together, we're really able to impact the, the men and women um, uh, of, of the church and, and in Asbury Park. Uh, we both have passions for youth and for young young adults and really helping them to grow and develop and mature. Uh, we just recently started uh, during this pandemic, a uh, SBC kids portal where we put, where we do um, readings and we have science Sundays and black history moments. And uh, we have all types of other materials and movement and exercise and things like that. Um, and enrichment materials and um, for youth uh, to help really help parents and youth through this time. And so um, just our uh, passion also for community, right? We are community oriented people in the work that we've done. She comes from a long line of it. I come from a long line of it um, in our, in different places. And so uh, together we all play a part in that. And my kids help us, help me, especially to, um, to uh, help me to uh, practice the kiss principle, right? Or keep it, keep it simple, stupid, where, uh, you know, a lot of times I want to go off and sound all doctoral and everything. My kids are like, what are you saying, huh? Mm-hmm. And so I have to, you know, break it down and, and, and help them to and speak it in a way that they can understand. And I realize that in doing that, it helps me to uh, speak it in a way that more people can grasp it. And so um, they're just they're just tremendous. And when many street gets tough and rough, um, no matter how uh, difficult uh, some, uh, uh, an, an experience may be, you know, whether it's, you know, because I've been in rooms where people are taking the last breath. I've been in rooms, you know, where uh, where people are receiving diagnosis of 
of, of, of heart, you know, of different sicknesses and illnesses. And I mean, just no matter what the thing is, uh, situation is, I know that I can come home and it's a place of love and, uh, and I'm not pastor anymore. I'm daddy, I'm Samaj. And, uh, it's just a great thing, right? It's just a wonderful thing. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they're integral to the ministry and to my sanity. <laughs> oh, nice. All right, I got to end this because my son's going to barrel through the door in three minutes. Pastor, thank you. I feel like we could have done like an easy another hour, Joe, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Pastor, I didn't, we didn't even get to the, like, we have a whole range of stuff. So maybe we had, like, you know, we'll have to have a part two maybe when yeah. we emerge from uh, from hibernation because. Uh, Sounds good to me. You know, um, and we could talk about, like, yeah, I was ready to jump all over your dissertation at some point. It's like, wow. Uh, oh, man, we'd love to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. Thank you, Pastor. Thank Thanks, Ming. Thanks, Shared Universe. Thanks uh, to our listeners. And, um, Pastor, I will send this to you as soon as we get it edited and uploaded. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so very much, Amy. Good to see you again, Joe. And and thanks to our technicians and uh, and to everybody. Uh, Be well. Be loved. Wash your hands and stay. (laughs) Keep keep your distance. (laughs) Thanks so much, Pastor. We'll see you again soon. You got it. Take care. See you.